Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I thought, who better fitting to talk about on Mother's Day than my grandpa? So <laughs> I'm going to share. It's a treat for you, trust me. He was such an interesting man, and that has left us grandkids with stories that keep us laughing to this day. He had this knack for addressing problems that was, well, unusual. I'll give you a couple examples. There was a time, a long period of time, where he was really concerned about air pollution. So he had a solution. He would take window screens and clip them into these little squares and shove them up the nasal passage to filter out the air. And as a kid, I thought this was just a completely normal thing. Grandpa has to take out his filters before lunch. <laughs> um, and he also had poor circulation, so his feet were always cold. He had a fix for that. He would duct tape his slippers on for extra insulation. One day I was walking up to his house and I saw that he covered up the cracks in the sidewalk with duct tape. It seemed to be a pretty universal fix for him. Um, it's so easy to laugh about the absurdity of this, but what I've come to realize is that we often possess our own underwhelming fixes when it comes to our heartbreaks. Um, when I was praying about what to preach this Sunday, God really laid on my heart that this is not a Mother's Day message. This is a message on Mother's Day about heartbreak. I really felt a pulse that so many of us are walking around with aching, breaking hearts. And I really felt led to be preaching about this really difficult topic today. Um, back when I had prayed about this a while back, I got this picture, and I was able to find it on Google Images. I don't know if Sydney can put it up there, of a picture of what a lot of our hearts look like. They've been shattered, torn apart, piece by piece, broken, and the pain is too much to bear. We can't function with this pain, so we just shove the pieces back together and artfully cover them up, tape them over, layer upon layer upon layer. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that we've fixed it. It looks whole again. But just like my grandpa's duct tape sidewalks, the cracks remain underneath. Um, I'm a nurse, and because of that, I love to see people get better. But I know that before the healing treatment must come a very thorough assessment first. What's the reality of the pain? When did it start? What type of pain is it? Each thoughtful answer can give me what I need to create a curated treatment plan. Back when I was a school nurse, I can't tell you how many times I would have a kid walk into my office and just come up to my desk and just stand there and just stare at me. And I would greet them, I'd smile at them, hi, why are you here? And they would just stare at me. I don't know if they expected to me have this like sixth sense that I know exactly what's wrong and what to do. I did not, I don't have that yet. <laughs> Or I'd have a kid walk in, and they would just give me a vague, I don't feel good. And I'd say, oh, bummer. What's, what doesn't feel right? And they would just kind of shrug their shoulders. Again, not helpful. If we expect a cure, we have to be honest about the pain. We have to name the pain. So before we push aside the pain and leap toward the cure, will you trust me enough this morning to sit and to talk about the reality of the pain. It's time to gently peel back the tape. 
Maybe your pain has been artfully hidden for so long that you yourself have forgotten that it's there. Or maybe the moment I said the word heartbreak, your heart began to ache and tears welled up in your eyes. Wherever you find yourself in this moment, I want to take a moment and I ask that you pray that the Holy Spirit reveal to you what he wants to begin to heal in you. This is incredibly scary for some of you. You feel perfectly fine with a taped up heart. Peeling back the layers is only going to bring that pain back to the surface. But let me encourage you that our God is healer. And his healing doesn't cover up. It mends from the inside out. It restores. It makes new. He is infinitely creative, infinitely powerful and loving. And he has a knack for taking that which we deem an impossible mess and breathing new life into it. Let's pray. Jesus, I just really, I pray for every person in this room that is struggling with heartbreak today. I pray, Father, that you would touch them. That you would know, they would know that you are here and that they are loved. I pray, Father, that you would um, put grace upon my words as I speak to them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The promise here is that God is ever-present and ready to aid us in our time of suffering. Some versions say contrite spirit. This is referring to those that their suffering has rid them of any self-righteous pride and they have a sobered view of their humanity before God. The promise is that he is near and he is ready to save. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of this in the message. He says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you've been kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. And I love that analogy. There's been so many times in my life where just having someone present there with me has been, helped me to catch my breath. I think back to when I was a kid in grade school. I was bullied quite a bit. And this went on for several years. And there was one day I was sitting with my peers, and they're all laughing at me. And I just sat there feeling nauseous. My head is spinning. And I was just willing to be anywhere but in this moment, it was too painful. I wanted to escape it so bad, but there was no escape. And then my mom walks in. There's no reason she should have been there. It was in my fifth grade classroom. You know, she should have been home. I don't <laughs> but she showed up and she took one look at me and she knew I needed her and she pulled me into the hallway where I just fell apart. And her presence meant so much to me in that moment. It did not take away the pain, didn't make it all better, it didn't make the kids stop teasing me, but it helped me catch my breath. And God promises to be that same tender, loving presence. And that is the promise of God. In those moments of ache, he will be near. He is near and he wants to breathe hope into your story just like he has in countless others. And I want to talk about two people today in the Bible. One is a mother who had broken hearts that God restored. So if you'll turn with me to Luke, we're going to go to chapter 1. Uh, we're just going to park in verse 5. Luke chapter 1. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. 
He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. So here we have two people. According to pharisaical standards, they should be well-deserving of a good, favored life. Hashtag blessed. They both come from a long line of priests. They diligently lived honorably before God, following all of his commands. But after this really impressive resume is their biggest lack. They remain barren in their old age. Now I want to take a second to slip into Elizabeth's sandals. I want to unfold this pain a little bit. Back in biblical times, not only was it heartbreaking to not be able to have a child, feeling the ache of that which ought to be, it was also very disgraceful. Um, women in that time had the sole role of carrying out the duties of the household, and that foremost included child-rearing. And if you weren't able to have a child, it was seen as if God had abandoned you, or if God has punished you, that something must be wrong with you. And I'm sure that that was the thing that crushed Elizabeth. Certainly would crush me. What are the things that you rightly value? And they've become points of heartache. For some of us, it might be a disconnect with our purpose in current life circumstances. For others, it might be a wayward child lost in its ways. For some, it might be the very thing that caused Elizabeth pain, barrenness. Whatever it might be, I want you to call that pain to mind and use that as a connection point to Elizabeth and Zechariah in this story. They ached for a child and they felt that emptiness. You know, and as we read scripture, we get to read the story that an individual lived stretched out over years and years in simply a few sentences. This whole story is merely 20 verses in length. So we read it, and we're like, oh, that's a nice story. They wanted a baby, and then God gave them a baby. That's so sweet. <laughs> but the pain in our lives is consuming, and the time between longing and receiving feels like this chasm too wide to bear. To Elizabeth, she didn't have the luxury of this prophetic proclamation to cling to in her years of pain. She had her pain. If you go to verse 13, it says, But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. What I notice here is the angel begins his proclamation by saying, God has heard your prayer. This implies that a child is something that Zechariah had long yearned for and prayed for. Why do I say long? Because Zechariah is old now, and he's beginning to doubt that it could possibly even be a prayer that he prayed years ago, and after so much time has passed, he put that prayer on a shelf. Can you relate to that at all? Have you ever yearned so badly for God to intervene, and after so much time has passed, you begin to doubt in order to save yourself from any further heartbreak, you put those prayers on a shelf. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. 
where at times our pain feels incredibly big and God might feel small. We might wonder where he is and what is he doing. His promise is that he is near. And if we can recognize that, it'll change everything. You know, I used to work as a hospice nurse. Sorry, I know my hair keeps... <laughs> I used to work as a hospice nurse, and um, my job at the time was to come in if one of two or possibly both things were unmanaged, pain or anxiety. Um, because the goal of hospice care is to make the patient comfortable. And so if they're really anxious or if they're having a lot of pain, they're not comfortable. And so when that was unmanaged, I would come in, I would come assess the patient and maybe make some adjustments to the treatment plan to help them achieve that goal. And I'll tell you what was way more powerful than any medication I ever gave was releasing the presence of God. Um, there were many patients that I would go up to and I would just hold their hand in mine and I would silently just pray over them, releasing the peace of God. And I would pray with my eyes open, expecting God to do something. And as I was praying, I would see the tense creases on their face relax. And what could have been the scariest, hardest, most painful moment of their lives, they were able to feel peace. And so I speak that same peace over you today as you begin to unearth that pain and hold the broken pieces with uncertainty and with ache. The Lord is near. In the pain, he is near. He is near, yet sometimes we are unable to reconcile the radio silence we feel on his end. It's in this space between problem and promise that doubt begins to rear its ugly head. And that's what happened with Zechariah. If you go to verse 18 now, it says, Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled in the proper time. Zachariah's immediate response to this amazing, earth-shattering, life-altering news is doubt. And honestly, it seems logical. Zachariah and Elizabeth were speculated to have been at least 60 years old. This is well past the childbearing years. While their hearts might have been filled with hope, at one time, the passage of all those years, the conclusion of the fertility window, calloused at least Zechariah, and it seems completely logical for him to doubt. Let me see. Sorry, this threw me off a little bit. Is this better? Okay. Um, it seemed completely logical for Zechariah to doubt, but I love Gabriel's response which is basically, hey, I am an angel. God sent me. This is absolutely going to come to pass. When God says, God does, period. And because of that moment of doubt and unbelief, Zachariah was faced with the consequence of being mute. Bible commentator Matthew Henry says this was God being kind. 
and just because it prevented him from speaking any more distrustful words. It allowed him to think better and it prevented him from boasting in his vision. God still came through because what God says, God does. But in his perfect fatherly love, he punishes Zechariah for his unbelief. And remember, Zechariah was golden child, law-abiding man who dedicated his life to service as a priest. But God didn't want his service. He wanted his heart. You know, there's verse after verse in the Bible that says something along the lines of God doesn't want our sacrifices. He wants dot, dot, dot. I'll list a couple for you. Psalm 51, 16. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You would not reject a broken, repentant heart, O God. God wants us to be real and to be honest with him. Hosea 6.6, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. He wants our presence, our nearness. He doesn't want our sacrifices in service. He wants our heart. Remember, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they followed God's commands to the letter. God's, God's favor was not in response to that. It reached over it because he had big plans. Zechariah wanted a sign, but God wanted faith. He wanted this wonderful, impossible thing to be what Zechariah received, not doubted. He wants that from us. Yet the pain and doubt, they seem to be married to each other. And how can one in the midst of deep turmoil hold on to hope? You know, the whole time I was writing this sermon, I had this the beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, just looping through my brain like elevator music. Um, and I began to wonder where this originated from. And a quick Google search led me to Lamentations. Uh, Lamentations was written by the prophet Jeremiah in a time of deep agony. It was written as he was watching Jerusalem get devastated and completely destroyed. And so chapter after chapter is, well, Lamentations. He's lamenting, he's writing from a deep, deep place of pain until you get to chapter 3, verse 21. And then there's a shift. And I want to read a portion of it to you, backing up just a bit to verse 19, so that you can see this sudden shift. So Lamentations 3, 19. The thought of my suffering, just the thought of it, and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. The way he shows his love, compassion, and forgiveness, it's there every day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. You know, we have, may have nothing but God, but that is all we will ever need. Therefore, I will hope in him. Here, Jeremiah is in the midst of heart-wrenching pain, but he remembers God. He remembers God. He remembers who God is, his character, his faithfulness to him, and therefore he has hope. 
What he's doing is not ignoring the pain. He's not trying to find answers or understanding to the pain. He just is remembering that God is faithful. And he remembers his character that is unchanging, and therefore he has hope. We might not understand. You know, there was a season in my life where I didn't understand. And I am very in my thoughts. I'm driven by my head, not my heart. And so how I would always find peace is to logically understand it. If it can make logical sense to me, then I have peace. But that's not true peace. And there was a season in my life where that got tested. I had lost three people that were close to me. One of them was my Aunt Mary. And that was always hard for me to understand. We had prayed and contended for her healing. And it didn't come. And that was deeply painful to me. And I remember one day just sitting and trying to process this deep pain, wading through the grief. And I felt God ask me, am I good? And I didn't have a reflexive, yes, because my circumstances didn't feel like it. And I sat there and I said, yes, God, you are. Not because of what my circumstances might be in this moment, because that is who you are. And that is unchanging. You are faithful and you are good, so yes. You know, and that's what Jeremiah did. He didn't understand. He was having this deeply painful time. But there's this shift in his focus. When he's looking onward, debilitated by his pain, he is without hope. He's sad, distraught. But a slight shift of his gaze upward. And he is filled with hope. God calls us to do the same. Our circumstances and our pain may lead us to question, is he good? Can we trust him? And just like Jeremiah, we must possess complete confidence that yes, he is, and yes, we can. The other day, um, it only took a moment of diverted attention for Nellie to make it all the way up the stairs. So I went to go get her. And I was still a ways down the stairs from her when she just leapt, just like jumped, like went for it. And I caught her. Okay, I'm the baby catcher. I should, I should go and be like delivered. <laughs> um, I caught her. But, you know, there was not a moment where she doubted that I would catch her. She knew that as soon as she leapt, I was going to catch her. And God wants us to have that same confidence for us to know, not just in our heads, but at the very core of our being, we can trust him. He is so good. <laughs> Psalm 34, 19 says, The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. He's never failed. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new each and every morning. Rescuing us is kind of his thing. His heartbeat is to see each of us whole, healed, and delivered. Our pain might be deep and wide, but so is his love. His love reaches through. His love goes to those dark places. His greatest act of love was shown for us on the cross. There has never been, nor will there ever again be, such a great act of love. Have you ever read that sweet little board book called Guess How Much I Love You? It's got the big nut brown hair and the, I think it's his son. And it's this cute little banter between the two of them of guess how much I love you. And 
There's this one part in the book where the sun bunny goes, guess how much I love you, and he reaches his arms out. And then the big nut brown hair says, well, guess how much I love you, and he reaches his even longer arms out. When I was baptized at the age of eight, I was given this framed picture with these words on it that I will never forget. It read, I asked the Lord, how much do you love me? And he responded, this much. And he stretched out his arms and died. There is no greater love. And this great act of love is not merely for the sealing of our salvation. While God wants nothing more for us to be with him for all of eternity in heaven, that is not all the cross is for. You know, over the last few years, I've noticed that my kids love playing with cardboard boxes. I promise this will relate. <laughs> it will, I'll loop back. Um, hours of entertainment from this brown cardboard cube. I could buy an extremely large order of endless treasures, and it might get lost just because they have this box. The box will get them where they want to go, namely outer space. Okay, the box is a rocket ship. Now let's say I ordered this box, filled it with stuff that's going to make their trip to outer space spectacular. But they never open it because they have what they need to get where they want to go. What else could they possibly need? Do we sometimes treat the cross like our cardboard box that's going to get us where we want to go? We have our admit one ticket to heaven, so we toss the rest of the gift aside, thankful for just that part. You know, as a parent, I'd imagine if this was happening, I would sit there in anticipation, waiting for them to discover there's so, so much more to this gift. I'd wait, waiting for them to come and unearth and tear open each and every gift that I lovingly placed inside. And God, our perfect Father, he wants the same. When he sent his son to die for us, it was for so much more than getting us to heaven. The cross is not merely transactional. The cross is transformational. It is life-changing. It is for your daily need, your daily healing. Come with me to Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to start in verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Please notice it doesn't just say he was beaten and whipped so that we could go to heaven. He did it so we could be whole and healed. Whole and healed. He died so that we could be continually healed. We can come to him in daily, just think, grateful reception of the many things that he died so that we could have. 
Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 say, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He holds all the answers, all the hope, all the healing and love and care that we need. He died so that we could have it. To receive this costly gift, we can't ignore our pain. We can't ignore our need. If we don't recognize our pain, and we won't recognize our great need for him. And that will leave us settling for our duct tape answers that don't truly heal. We can't doubt that he's good and he's going to come through. We can come to him with our broken and contrite heart, hopeful and expectant that he is in the business of making us whole and healed. And as we wait in hopeful, watchful anticipation, he will move in ways bigger than our plans. You know, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they wanted a baby. And God didn't just give them a son. He birthed through them the one who prepared the way for Jesus. What is he wanting to birth in you today? Will you lay down your broken dreams before him, trusting that he has even bigger, better plans for you, far-reaching? He is so worthy of your trust and so faithful to his promises. The cross is for today. All he asks is that you set down your tape, open your hands to reveal the broken pieces, and receive that which he died for. And let him. Let him do what he does best. Let him be near. Let him heal. Let him restore. Let him breathe life anew. He is there in the waiting, and he is there for the healing. Let's pray. God, we recall to our minds your faithfulness, just as Jeremiah did. We remember what you have done so that we can be whole and healed, and we refuse to be without hope. Will you come and move? Holy Spirit, we are open to what you want to do. We stand in your promises and declare that you are faithful and so very good to us. Amen.